hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. You know, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, this is the day that uh, we kind of celebrate what many Bibles put in their in their heading is Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The week before he was crucified, he went into Jerusalem and. As he rode in on this donkey, he was fulfilling all these scriptural uh, prophecies, and he was he was he was just uh, being honored and blessed and, and praised and worshipped. And um, you know, typically we do these um, sermons on on that theme, and and you know, I was prepared to do that, but I've been I've been reading through scripture, and and I, I've. Last week, I, we, we went into the Mary Magdalene, or Mary the Magdalene, and, and how God, the, the Jesus just touched her life and, and changed her. She, she had been, you know, um, she had seven demons inside her. She was demon-possessed, and Christ set her free, and how that just changed her whole life. And um, this morning... Uh, as, as you take your Bibles and turn to, to John chapter 20, amen, um, I want you, uh, we're going to be looking at somebody else that was affected um, a lot by Jesus. We're going to be talking about Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of his disciples. And, uh, but here's the thing. How many of you have, have, have feel like people look at you and they define you by your worst day. People look at you and, 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 and see you, you know, just they, they say, oh yeah, that's Thomas the doubter. Doubting Thomas. And we're going to look at that today. Uh, but this sermon is actually um, called, I've Seen Enough. I've Seen Enough. Uh, have those words ever come out of your, your mouth? I've seen enough. You know, okay, like somebody's trying to sell you something and they keep trying to sell you something and it's like it's sold, they don't have to sell you anymore and they just keep on going You say, I've seen enough, I want to buy it. Okay, I'm, I'm, we're good on this. Okay? So, um, you know, I've seen enough. And uh, you're going to see how that happens in, um, in Thomas's life here. So we're in John chapter 20. And uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord God, once again. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've given to all of us, that you have brought us here. And Lord, through your holy word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and draw us into a deeper relationship uh, with you, Lord God. No matter where we are in that relationship, Lord God, bring us deeper in understanding your love and your grace and your mercy towards us, Lord. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, John chapter 20 is immediately on the heels of, of um, Jesus appearing in the room with the disciples. Jesus had already been crucified. He had already been resurrected. Uh, Mary and, and the women had already met him, and, and now they're... The, the disciples are gathered in that upper room, okay? 
And there were 10 of them in the room. They were uh, actually abiding by the CDC rec uh, recommendations that there be 10 in that room because it was locked, it, the windows were closed, it was barred, it was shut tight. And Jesus had walked into that room. And Scripture tells us that he had, he had spoken to them and he breathed on them. He, when Jesus showed up, he breathed on them. He brought new life to them, okay? And so immediately after that, the, the disciples realized that there was only ten of them there. I'm sure they had realized that before. And if you read in verse 24, John chapter 20, verse 24, it starts out like this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, okay, Didymus means actually twin. So it was Thomas the twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, oh, cool, that's cool, man. I, that's awesome. I believe. I'm going to trust in him. I believe what you said. I just wish I would have been there. Nah, that's not what he said. He said this. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, in verse 26, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and, and, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Praise God. My hope, my prayer today is, whether you've logged on this morning or whether you're here this morning, that God would use this message to, to speak to your heart. Because there's only discouragement and fear apart from God. But in His presence there's rest. There's peace. And the scripture says there's life in His name. Amen? So we pray to God that as, as we come together. Whether it's here in the room or with Wi-Fi and monitors and or phones that God would flood our lives with his presence. Amen. And that we would just learn that we can gather together knowing that Jesus is Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the son of God. Amen. Amen. So 
I've seen enough. I believe that this day, in the day that we live, it's so easy to be a skeptic, isn't it? I think, I think that you can just be skeptical about anything. And I think the reason is, is because we have the internet. We have a, a certain level of, of ability to say, man, I don't know if that's true. I'm going to go Google it. You know? I mean, you know, we go to Google, we can ask Siri, we can ask Alexa, and we have all this information out on our fingertips, right there. So I think a lot of times, and I'm just speaking for me, that when, when people tell me things, I'll sit there and go, okay, mm-hmm. Hey Siri, is this true? So I go out on the internet, and, and, and a lot of times when I find that they're incorrect, then I, I just, I have to hold back because I just want to tell them, man, you're wrong. You were just wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I could tell you of a thousand situations probably where I've, I've had, we were talking and, and somebody said something that wasn't right. And either I did it then or I did it later and I'm like, checking out on, you know, get the information. So we can, we can be skeptical at this time like never time before. And I think partially it's because we have access to more information than anybody's ever had. You understand what I'm saying? We can go out there. And, and if somebody tells you something wrong, you, you're really skeptical the next time they say something. So when it's being, so when it comes to the, those things that you're being sold, and, and this is where it gets me. How many of you have uh, ever seen an advertisement on, online or, you know, in your email thing or whatever? Man, that's too good to be true. That's too good to be true. And then when you go research it, yep, it's way too good to be true. So we hear stuff, we just think, you know what? I'm going to go check that out. So I'm going to do a little experiment here right now. Okay, if I told you that the continent of Australia is as wide as the moon is round, would you believe me? The continent of Australia, from tip to tip, is at the same distance between what's at the, not the circumference, the diameter. diameter of the moon. Thank you. It is. It's true. It's about the same. As a matter of fact, Australia is a little bit wider. What if I told you that the entirety of South America is actually east of Florida? The entirety of South America is actually east of Florida. Would you believe me? It should actually be called East America, not South America. It's actually east of Florida. But things like that that you hear, you just think, well, I don't know. You know... Uh, let me remember my geography. It's okay. So you you don't know whether or not you should believe that you should believe this stuff. Why? Because in all of us, there's a little bit of a skeptic, which is appropriate to begin begin our confirmation our conversation about Thomas, who we see here in 
in, in chapter 20 of John that he's been told by his friends, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he famously doubts that that's true. He, he did not believe. And really what he did, he, he should, what he did was, shouldn't be called doubt. Because doubt is saying, I can't believe. But Thomas said, I won't believe. So maybe he should call, if we nickname him, disbelieving Thomas. Because doubt is, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know how this is. It's natural. Doubt is natural. Doubt is, it it can rise up in our hearts. And and what he says, no matter what, unless this happens, I won't believe. Unless I touch him, unless I see him, unless I... Can, can know, I won't believe. Instead, he needs to choose to believe. Because he, he said that even if the present, the compelling evidence is there, he's going to have, still have, have to have enough faith to rise up no matter what. Now here's the thing, listen to me very closely. I believe in God and I don't believe in God are both statements of faith. Let me say that again. I believe in God, the statement I believe in God and the statement I don't believe in God are both statements of faith. Any way you live, it still chooses faith. So my, my, my urging to you that today is don't be like Thomas. Don't stay in disbelief. Choose to believe. Now let's back up. Because of this moment, this, this John chapter 20 moment, he's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. And if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with the Bible, and it's, it's like a moniker of who he is. You, you know, think, of like, think of it like this. We, we do this all the time, in, in, especially in Sunday school, you know. We talk about Esther, okay? In the book of Esther, there's, there's this woman, Esther. She is, she's like this beauty queen, and that's how we picture her. And, and, and you know, she was presented to the king, and, and you know, she, she was beautiful, and she, you know, was gorgeous, and, and she's beautiful Esther, okay? She's a beauty queen. Now, when you picture Thomas... Out of all the times he pops up in Scripture, the scene that comes to you in, my, in, in your mind is this one. Doubting Thomas. And by the way, how rude is that? The one mistake that he makes in his life, the big one, and everybody identifies him by that big, he doubted. How many of you are thankful? And I've already asked this question. How many of you think are thankful that, that we are not definitely defined by our worst days. Aren't you glad that when, we, when God sees us, He doesn't go out on YouTube or Google or Facebook or whatever and look at our worst days in our lives? And then holds us accountable to that one little thing? That's not how he looks at this. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that as, as believers, as believers, God sees us. He doesn't even see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
He's hidden us in Christ. And he doesn't see, even see our, our lawless deeds. God has the capacity that we don't yet. And that is to choose to not remember our worst days. And so that he sees Thomas. When, when God thinks, when God sees Thomas, he doesn't see him at his worst, just in this moment. The only thing he sees is Jesus covering Thomas's dark moment. But let's talk about it for a minute. Thomas the debtor. He should be called, in my opinion, Thomas the honest. Thomas the honest. I mean, because if we're going to go pick a moment out of his life, why don't we pick one of the good ones? Amen. Thomas the honest. Here's, there's, there's a need for great honesty in our day. Especially in this day where we don't know who to trust and where it's confusing. But he, was, he had a great honest moment in, in John chapter 14. Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to leave the world and go to heaven. And, and apparently as he was describing uh, where, he was, where he was going to go and how it was all going to work. And the disciples were just standing there nodding their head. And trying to look intelligent. But Thomas raises his hands up. He said, John chapter 14, verse 15, or 5, excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 5. He said, Master, we have no idea where you're going. And we have no idea how you're going to get there. Because Jesus has said, he had just said, you guys know where I'm going. You guys know where I'm going. And everyone's going, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, we're very smart. We took notes and everything. And Thomas goes like, he's like, I have no idea where you're going. And I have no clue on how you're going to get there. So imagine Jesus looking at the, the rest of the disciples going, is that true? And I'm going, well, yeah, we actually have no clue. Um, I was actually not taking notes. I was checking my Facebook page. So Thomas, to be honest, he said in one of his finer moments, um, you know, he said, I, I don't understand. Jesus, I don't know where you're going. We, we really don't know where you're going. We don't know how you're going to get there. Or we could also call him Thomas the Brave. Now, Thomas the Brave, because when Jesus told the disciples that, Je- that Lazarus had died, Okay, now Lazarus is one of Jesus' best friends. He had Mary and Martha was Lazarus's sisters, and, and they were really good friends with Jesus. And, and um, Jesus would actually stay at their, their house a, a lot. And they loved, he loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, he loved Martha. And yet, when he got word that Lazarus was sick, he just kind of stayed back a couple more days. Instead of going to Lazarus and healing him, he stayed back and, and the disciples were, were like, why would he do that? Why in the world would he do that? Well, that's because Jesus had a plan, but they didn't know that. It didn't make sense to, to Mary who wept and it didn't make sense to Martha who was mad. And, and they were all grieving differently. And make no mistake, uh, what they were dealing with was grief. And they were grieving over, Jesus, you should have done this. You could have done that. Why weren't you here? They were grieving over the fact that Lazarus was dead. 
You know, it's grief. And as they grieve, sometimes we're like, and as we grieve, sometimes we're like Mary and we weep. And sometimes we're like Martha and we get mad and we want answers. And Jesus was just staying back. He did nothing. And the disciples says, the disciples said, why don't we go? I mean, Jesus, we've seen you heal people and raise people from the dead and, and people you don't even know. But here's somebody that you truly love and you're not doing anything. And then finally word came that Lazarus was dead. And Jesus turned to them and said, okay, guys, let's go. And they're like, wait a minute, you're, you're confusing us. We told you he was sick, you did nothing. Now that he's dead, you want to rush over there? Why? And Jesus just said, Lazarus is sleeping. And they go, well, then why do we need to go? If he's sleeping, he'll wake up. And Jesus said, no, he's actually dead. And the disciples are like, well, that makes sense. I mean, that's about as clear as mud. And Jesus finally had to tell them that they have to understand that He's, even though he's dead, he's sleeping. But Jesus' death is like sleeping. Okay? It's like taking a nap. And, and, and here's the thing. If Jesus goes to where Mary and Martha is, there's a crowd of people there that have been looking for him and they want to kill Jesus. And the disciples are like, well, Jesus, if we go, we're going to die. If we go there, we're going to die. Okay? And here's 11, John chapter 11. Thomas speaks up. And he says, Let's all go, that we all, may, that we all may die with him. Thomas says, Let's all go. If we're going to die, we're going to die. Let's go ahead and go. Thomas the brave. Besides that, it, it, it makes sense. If, if, if sleeping is like death with Jesus, then the death would not be permanent anyway. I don't know if they fully understand, if Thomas fully understood what he was saying. But he was brave and he was honest. And then we look at this time when he was Thomas the doubter. And I think, though, that it was for those two exact reasons that he was consistently honest. And when others were scared, he somehow rallied and showed bravery. That in that moment here, he succumbed to tell. Because it's possible at times for us to have done so much for God and tried so hard uh, to do what God wants us to do. And then God zigs when he, we think he should have zagged. God, you should have done this, but you did this. Now I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to believe. And that mountain stays still when we, we spoke by faith that it would be removed. And the, and the sun set, even though we believe that God said, speak to the sun and it would stay still. Or when somebody is, who is sick and we pray for them and we anoint them with oil and they still pass away. Why is it that that happens? No wonder we can have doubt. Thomas doubted. But I want to pick uh, our way through this journey. And I hope that we can do it in a way that will show uh, uh, 
every single one of this, this truth, that there is hope for the skeptic. There was, though, there was hope for those who are skeptical. See, Thomas walked away from the cross. It seemed from the, from the, from the crucifixion, the death of his Savior. It, and it looks like he felt abandoned. And when he could have believed and trusted, he said, I've seen enough. I'm done. He thought Jesus was the one. He thought Jesus, man, I'm going to give my whole life for him. I've been honest. I've been vulnerable. I've been brave. But it's over. I'm done. So he doubted in this moment. And I want to pick up our way through this journey and show you that there's hope for the skeptic. There's hope for the person who's watching this on Facebook or feeling doubt in their hearts in the situation in this COVID-19 situation. That it's going to be okay. That everything of what you believe about God and the goodness of His Word and all that has been questioned. Will God provide? And is there hope for our kids? And is there hope for the future of this world? And yes, you want to believe that your children and your children's children, that they're going to be okay and that the economy is, is, is going to be, it might be hard, but God's going to take care of things. Thomas's journey in the, the text starts with these two things. If you look at it, it, it's absence and unbelief. Absence and unbelief. And I believe that they are symbiotic. A symbiotic relationship means that they are fueled off of one another. Okay? Absence and unbelief fuel off of each other. What do I mean? I mean, it tells, it tells us clearly in verse, uh, that the, excuse me, uh, it clearly tells us that there were 10 gathered there on the first day of the week, Sunday, and that Thomas was not there. Verse 24, Thomas was not with them. The disciples gathered like a bunch of, of coals to stay hot, like a bunch of wolves in a pack. Like a bunch of sheep in a flock. They gathered together. They had numbers. They were there together. The ten of them. They were there. And Thomas wasn't with them. Absence from his crew. He was absent from the people that were there to help rally him. And encourage him and pray for him. And build him up and hold him accountable. But Thomas was absent. Yes, he caved in and gave in to uh, unbelief. But I believe that it's, e- it's, it's an easier time doing so because he was absent. This is not a time for lone wolf behavior. This is not a time for us to be off on our own. This is not a time to, to feel abandoned and therefore be a, a, a recluse. That this time of social isolation should not become a time of uh, relational separation. Here's the thing. We need each other more now than we ever have. Let me say that again. 
We need each other more now than we ever have. Because this is not the time to be by ourselves. That's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 23, it says, Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the NIV. The Passion Translation puts it this way. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequent, frequently eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. I mean, think about this. I am so encouraged that that day is dawning. Amen? This is not the time that we should pull away. Thomas felt abandoned. And he did exactly the opposite of what he should have done. He, because he should have taken his pain and his feelings of abandonment and his feelings of, of why God are you letting this happen and brought all that chaos and confusion into the gathering which is meant to be a place of question, which is meant to be a place of doubt, which is meant to be a place of, of skepticism. But the problem is we've wrongly thought that, chief, uh, that uh, churches were put together so that people could come and polish their halos. This is a place where if you have doubts, come. If you have fears of abandonment, come and be a part if you don't know what tomorrow brings or what tomorrow can hold, come and we can help you together. And you may say, I can't go to church because that would be hypocritical because I spent the whole week yelling at my kids and feeling frustrating and worrying about looking at my 401k and, 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 and I'm going to, I've been trusting in this world. And you know what? God knows that. You may feel like you're not good enough to bring things to God in prayer. And you may think of, why should I spend time with him, in, 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 with him anyway? I don't want to, he doesn't want to hear from me. Thinking that we only bring to God our best, what we're forgetting is that the best that we have to give to God is our emptiness. Let me, say, let me say that again. Thinking that we only bring to God our best. When we're forgetting that it's the best thing that we ever had to offer God was our emptiness. Why? Because God can fill us with His joy, fill us with His power, fill us with His peace. So that we can go out into the world. To the grocery store, to our work. And be that loving and kind person that God needs us to be in, in, in all of our interactions. This is not the time that we should pull away from each other. 
And I believe it was absence from the gathering that actually fueled even more the doubt in his life. And it snowballed out of control. And I think Thomas, once he doubted, and then he didn't go, and then they saw Jesus, it made it, it, made it easier when they told him he's alive. Just to say, no, I don't believe it happened. I'll never believe. Because his ego got involved. And now his pride's been wounded. Now I miss showing up and I feel bad that I didn't show up. And I could have seen him. So forget it. I'm just going to throw down. I'm going to destroy everything. I can't believe because I can't see. And now it's easier for him to color everything as gray. So, so the absence led to unbelief, which is why we, we, we have to be here present for each other. And this gathering when Jesus showed up, it was on a Sunday. It was on the first day of the week. And ever since Christ rose from the dead, his people have taken Sunday as a chance to celebrate the newness of creation that happened when Christ rose from the dead. That's why... We celebrate on Sunday, the first day of the week. And that's why it was no mistake that when the disciples were in that room and Jesus showed up and he breathed on them, he he was giving them that new life that is found in the new creation because of Jesus. That was the first day of the week. He was saying that old system is gone. The new creation has come. When you come to know Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. We must not forget or forsake that whether we can come into this building or not, we need to prioritize Meeting together in the name of Jesus for worship and the word and the taking of communion and prayer and all the things that makes Jesus' body so powerful until he returns. We need to make sure we do that. Thomas' absence and unbelief was met with persistence and kindness, though. Think about that. Persistence and kindness. His disbelief, his absence was met with the disciples being kind and persistent. They responded to him being absent where he, could, where he should have been present and unbelieving when he should have been believing by being kind and doing so persistently. And they were kind to him and they were persistently trying to reach out to him. What does this mean? Thomas hears from the disciples, we've seen the Lord. Hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. That was their message to him. We have seen the Lord. You know, that's the message that we have to tell the world, too. We've seen Jesus. <coughs> and he didn't believe. He said, I don't believe and I won't believe. And when he talked about it, he actually got a little grizzly there. He said, I'm not going to believe until I can touch those wounds. Until I can see his nail prints in his hand. Until I put my finger in there or my finger in the side. And this is, a, this is a guy going, I'll never believe it. He, pigs would have to fly first. But when you think about the most outlandish things, I mean, 
Think about all the things that he could have said. I'm not going to believe until I can touch his insides. I mean, that's gross. And the disciples would have, should have been appalled. Could, what kind of disciple are you? And that's, that's sick. You want, you want to do that? What kind of disciple are you? And they could have turned their backs on him. That's, that's not how they responded. As a matter of fact, if you look into the Greek here, it, it, it's, it tells them, it suggests that they didn't give up on, on Thomas. As a matter of fact, they persisted. They kept inviting him. They kept telling him about their faith. Kept telling him little things like, you know, as a matter of fact, the, the, the Greek is so loaded with continual use that the J.B. Phillips translation here actually says this, that the other disciples kept on telling him, we have seen the Lord. It was like, man, we've seen him. No, you haven't. Yeah, we've seen him, Thomas. Nah, nah, there's no way. We've seen him, man. He was there. He was right there in the room. With nah, you guys were all high or something, man. There's no way. No, we saw him. He was there. Well, I won't believe that he's risen unless I can touch him. Who in your life have you only told once? And they did respond, or they, they, they didn't respond, and so you gave up. Who in your life have you said, man, you, know, you, you need to know Jesus? And they just haven't responded. So, okay, I'm done. The disciples were like that. The disciples kept saying, man, Jesus, he's here. He's alive. We saw him. He talked to us. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It was just us. wasn't a, just a one and done thing. They kept saying, man, he was there. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We've seen the Lord. Now you haven't to shut up. We've seen the Lord Jesus. We've seen him alive. No, you haven't. And they were persistent. How do I know that? Because it says, on the, it says in the text that on the next Sunday, the next first day of the week, a week later, they were gathered together. And this is verse 26. Thomas was with them. It says, Thomas was with them. What's that say about the, the graciousness of his friends? That even though he, he had just dramatic disbelief, that they still wanted him to belong. They still included him. My prayer is that we can create a, a body of believers here, that, that it's a safe place for, for people who are on the dip in their journey. It, I pray that we can be a place where we can be unshockable or unoffended and constantly loving to where you can belong here even before you believe. Even when you don't believe, you can be here. I don't believe that. It's sacrilegious almost. Like, you know, he would say, man, I want to touch this corpse. But the other guy said, come on, man, you got to believe. Come on, you got to see him. Some of us are kind, but not persistent. 
We love people, but we're not telling them that we've seen the Lord. Others are being persistent, but not kind. It takes that truth and love for us to really touch people the way we're meant to. And that persistence and that kindness set the stage for Thomas to have an encounter and receive an invitation. Encounter and invitation. Look what happened in that that week-long journey from Sunday to Sunday. This is all in one week of his life because they were repeatedly inviting him and they were and, and they were being kind to him, and now he was present. Why? And, and, and because of all that, what happens? He has an encounter with Jesus. Thomas is there, the doors are locked, and Jesus shows up. Talk about awkward. I mean, just imagine the scene. They're there, whatever they were doing, and all of a sudden, you know, Thomas, I, I don't know what was going through his mind, but you know, I hope I'm not wasting this. I'm just wasting my time. What am I doing here? Jesus is dead. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And he's there. He shows up. And here's the thing that's interesting about it. The first thing that he says is peace. The first thing that Thomas hears coming out of the mouth of the risen Lord to Thomas is peace. I mean, think about that. He had been in turmoil ever since the the crucifixion. His life had been turned upside down. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. He was, was, you know, people were, they, they all thought that they were going to be next. They lived in fear. He was doubting. He didn't know what to believe anymore. And the first thing that Jesus says is peace. The first thing that he speaks to the skeptic is peace. The first thing that he speaks to somebody in disbelief is peace. You know, Jesus still speaks that to the skeptic. You can, you, can, you can have all kind of turmoil in your life. You cannot believe in Jesus. But the one thing that Jesus wants to speak to you is peace. He had an encounter with Jesus. Why? Because he prioritized being there. He showed up. He took the opportunity to be there, even with his fear and his anger and in all of his, 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 his grief. And he was still showed up. He was there and he allowed God to talk to him. And I believe that the same thing can happen to us. And we don't understand what, what when we don't understand is the perfect time for God to have an encounter with us. It's when we're open to it. Scripture tells us, seek me and you'll find me. That's what God says. Seek me and you will find me. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Give God that space. Give God that time. Prioritize. If you want to meet with Jesus, prioritize opening up your Bible. 
That's the awesome part. The awkward part is the invitation. Jesus invited Thomas to do something. He said, hey, peace. Thomas, I heard you want to put your finger in my wounds. Here I am. Go ahead. My, my hands, my side, touch. Touch me. Go ahead. And Thomas didn't want to anymore. It seems that Thomas had completely changed his tune because now he has seen the Lord who is inviting him to touch him. And the Bible says in verse 29, at the end of this whole incident, that Jesus says, you have believed because you have seen me. You know, if, if, if Thomas had taken him at his invitation and actually touched him and, and going, okay, now I believe, Jesus wouldn't have said, you believe because you touched me. He didn't. He, he didn't touch him. He said, you have believed now because you have seen me, which tells me, that when Thomas finally received what he thought would be what he needed to believe, he realized he didn't need that anyway. Seeing him was enough. In fact, it had been enough just to hear and see his friend's reaction to the resurrection. That would have been enough. He had enough to believe all along. He just was creating objections based upon preference of how God should work. He said, he said no, man. This is how you should do it, God. And Jesus is, uh, and Thomas's worldviews were in collision. He thought Jesus was late, and Jesus was right on time. So he was in his rage, and he needed control of the outcome. And, and Thomas, Thomas said, "No, I need to do this, God. You need to let me check the. You need to check these boxes before I believe." And God never negotiates terms. And conditions on anything. He's God. He rules the universe. He has a sovereignty over everything. And in the midst of it all, he has a plan to reconcile all things to himself. And that includes you. And that includes me. And he chose to go to the cross with our sins to pay the bill uh, for every wrong that we've ever done. And he rose from the dead, overcoming the grave. And he rules as king forever. And he's not asking you, are you okay with that? What he's saying is, he wants to forgive you and flood your life and change you and fill you with his Holy Spirit. And Thomas, who thought God needed to check all these things and needed to do this and that, now he's been called on the carpet for calling God to hop through hoops. And he realized that he didn't need God to do all that. He didn't want a God who would, who would do the things that he wanted him to do. He wanted a God who could kick the teeth of the devil in. And when Jesus says, I want to give you the, the, the space to touch my wounds, Thomas just says, giving our final point, he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Declaration and demonstration. He declared my Lord and my God, which is really cool. Because when you look at this, uh, theologians say that this amounts to the, one of the most powerful and most concise declarations of deity anywhere in the New Testament. Which is pretty cool, considering that it was some, came from somebody that we 
Consider doubting Thomas, doubting the resurrection. And yet he's the same God that declares, my Lord and my God. Someone said that he, when he said, my Lord, he was putting Jesus on the throne of his heart. And when he said, my God, he was, he was recognizing that Jesus is on the throne of the entire universe. He didn't say, my Lord and my, or he said, my Lord and my God, not the Lord and the God. He said, my Lord and my God. What he was doing, he was bending his knee before the king and he was saying, I don't want to check to see if you're real or not. I can very well see that you're real and hopefully you can see me submitted to your reign and your salvation. Now that's a declaration. The demonstration came later. The demonstration would happen in the change in Thomas. When he declared Jesus as king, for the rest of the life, he demonstrated that he was under the rule of, of Jesus as king. Church history tells us that Thomas went from this room, from, from the upper room, the day of Pentecost. When he went out after the day of Pentecost, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, where he previously didn't believe, he was now filled with faith, filled with power and the Holy Ghost. And he went out preaching. And he went out fulfilling Jesus' command to make disciples of every creature. The, the Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that he preached the gospel in, in Parthia and in India. Where exciting the rage, this is what it says, exciting the rage of the pagan priest, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. He was killed with a spear. John 19 tells us that at the death of Jesus, this, uh, the soldiers came and they were breaking the, the legs of those who were being crucified so that they would die more quickly. And they came to Jesus and he was dead. They didn't break any bones in his body, but they pierced his side with a spear, and scripture said that blood and water flowed out from it. The doctors will tell you, tell, tell you that the way that Jesus died, uh, when they pierced his heart, the blood and water flowed out of his heart. They knew he was dead. So the wound that Thomas referred to was a spear wound. And he went out preaching a changed man, still honest, Braver than ever, but no longer filled with doubt because he had submitted to the lordship of Jesus. So when these hostile enemies commanded, commanded him to preach no more, he lovingly, kindly, no doubt, he said, I can't do those things. I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I've experienced too much. I know the risen Lord. And when they took their spears and they threatened him, and they came close to him. Can you picture this? He continues to preach. And as they ran him through, according to, to legend, the last thing he said when he died with a spear in his heart was, my Lord and my God. Still very much convinced, of, even in the hour of his death, of the Lordship of Jesus, and that he was still king. And he met his, he met his end with, 
with glory and he met his end with praise on his lips. Why? Because he had seen Jesus. He had seen Jesus. And it gave him courage. Even, even when a spear entered his heart. And I believe that it's because of Thomas's faith, because of Thomas's conversion, it's because of Thomas's the, the power that 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 we see that God used in Thomas's life that we don't need to touch Jesus to believe. Why? Because I've seen enough. We've seen enough. Look at everybody who has been touched by the power of Jesus. Look at Thomas. Look at at, at Mary. Seven demons, and she was released by the power of Jesus. Thomas's story tells us that we're not limited by where we start, that we can experience great breakthrough even after our biggest failures. Thomas's story tells us that even, and especially when we feel abandoned by God, he is still with us, he's still present. Even when he feels afar, and as I think about Thomas, I can't th- uh, help but think about the moment when Jesus said, do you want to touch my nail prints? And Thomas realized, oh, wait a minute, you were here with me last week. When he said, I, 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 when, when I said I couldn't see you, you were still here. And I'm speaking I hope I'm speaking to into your situation this morning. You may feel abandoned by God, but God is present even when you think he's far. And don't wait for the end of this crisis, this craziness to trust and believe in him. Realize that Jesus is present now in your situation. And when you do that, you will find cursing Coursing through your veins the blessings that come to those who believe when they don't see. We don't know how this is all going to work out. We don't need to. We can, by faith, declare allegiance to Jesus our Lord and our God, no matter how he chooses to finish with this whole thing. No matter how long it lasts, no matter what the repercussions are to the economy, to, to our individual lives, we know how this ends. It's Jesus on the throne of the universe. And I pray that you put him on the throne of your heart this morning. Even in the midst of everything that's going on, even in the midst of what we're afraid of. So don't let the devil define who you are by what you've done in the past. Don't sit there and say that you don't believe, you won't believe in God unless God does X, Y, Z. God loves you where you are, no matter what you've done. And you don't have to be perfect to come to God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that in him, we could have that righteousness that's needed. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you that even in unbelief, even in the midst of our 
choosing not to believe you are there. That our belief doesn't negate who you are. Or our unbelief doesn't negate who you are. Our belief in you, Lord God, is, is a great and wonderful thing because that's how we put our faith and trust in you. But who you are, Lord God, you are always God. You always will be God. No matter what we believe. So God, I pray that those who don't know you this morning, Lord, that they would just take that step of faith and say, God, I can see you. I don't have to touch you, but I can see you. I've seen you at work in my life. I've seen you do so many things, Lord God. So I believe in you. And help us to pray, Lord God, but help our unbelief. And we thank you, Lord God. And we thank you. As you continue to pray this morning with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, there could be somebody here who, who you think, man, I'm, I, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I've seen God work and, and yet I feel so far from Him. Don't go by feelings. Go by what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you to pay the penalty of your sin by His Son, Jesus, on the cross. And all you have to do is believe in Him, confess your need for Him, and then repent, turn away from those sins. And whether you're watching us here on Facebook or you're watching us here, if you just want to just surrender your life to Jesus because he loves you. He has plans for you. He has a, it's wonderful plans for you. He wants to fill you, you and your, with the Holy Spirit. He wants to, to fill your life with joy and peace. And all you have to do is surrender to Him. And if that's you this morning, why don't you just pray this prayer with me this morning? Nobody prays alone, so why don't we just all pray together? Amen. Heavenly Father, I need you. I need your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross in my place for my sin. I believe that he was in the grave for three days, but he is now resurrected alive. Help me to turn from my sin and turn to you. Forgive me, I pray. I give you my life.
because you gave your life for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, I pray for those who prayed that prayer with faith, believing, Lord God. Whether it was here or whether it was online, Lord, that you would reach into our hearts, Lord God. Lord, give a desire to be in your word like never before. Be, give them a desire, Lord God, to be in prayer like never before. Lord, help them and strengthen them. I pray in your name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say this, that if you're watching us on Facebook or online, YouTube, whatever, if you need help, just either instant message us or email us at middleriverag at gmail.com. It's middleriverag at gmail.com. Um, we can help you with uh, some resources. Um, we can help you. Uh, in, if you're not in the Baltimore area, we can help you find a church that you can go to. Just get into a, a place. Don't be like Thomas and stay outside. Don't be like Thomas and, and feed that doubt and that fear. But get in with a body of believers where you can and feel encouragement and strength in that body. Amen? So let's, uh, we'll just dismiss in prayer right now. Why don't we all stand, please? God, we acknowledge our need of you. Even as believers, we need your help. We ask, Lord God, that what we run into this week, Lord God, whatever situation may come, help us, Lord God, to be the people that you have called us to be in that situation. Help us through the Holy Spirit to speak peace, uh, words of peace and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And Lord, as we look at this week and we prepare our hearts for the, for the coming celebration of, of your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, help us to remind, help remind us, Lord God, that you did that for all of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and have a great week. Amen.